0: All right, Chavosai, good morning. Let us begin. We have a beautiful, beautiful daf ahead of us today. I want to begin by thanking our sponsors. To thank our Talmud, our sponsors, for the month of Cheshvan, Mayor and Rachel Gold, for dedicating all the Shurim and Drashos this month in memory of Yonah Tzvi, Ben Yosef Chaim of Lazarus, Kohen, Zichrona Levracha, Noam Leah Efron, for dedicating all the Shurim and Drashos this month in celebration of the 98th birthday of Noam's grandfather, Yosef Herschel, Ben Mordechai Alevi, our week of learning sponsor, Jack Bennett, in memory of Givati Brigade Lieutenant Asaf Rosenfeld, who fell in battle on February 26th, 1998, in southern Lebanon. As well as our Talmud Torah sponsor, I'm sorry, for, for the month of November also as well, uh, Steve Golaskov and his of, of Rufua Shlema for his father, Nochum Sender Ben Rachel. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, who have a Rufua, together with Kol Chole Yisrael. Most with that, let us begin. So we have a lot to do today, an incredible da'af ahead of us. I know I still owe you the Masachik B'Kovio from yesterday, but let's first, uh, let's first, HaShem, make a dent in today's daf. and emirat HaShem, hopefully, we will, we will go back. I have the page in front of me over here, so I'm not going to forget about it. So Mishnah, also well, today's da'af is Chav 23, and we are picking up Chav base 22B at the Mishnah. Barishomah Hayu Masin Masuos. So we we'll say in the beginning, in the beginning, they used to go ahead and light bonfires. Remember, again, this is talking about how they would signal the diaspora communities that Rosh Chodesh had been declared. So they used to do it through a series of bonfires. But when the Kusim started trying to disrupt the system, said, what I want to point out to you, remember, again, we always see the Kusim, right? Kusim are everywhere, everywhere, right? So remember, again, who were the Kusim? So they were a, they were a nation from the land of, take a wild guess, Kusa, right? They were from Kusa. They were resettled in Eretz Yisrael by Shalmaneser, the king of Ashur. And there was, when they, when they were idolaters, there was an outbreak of lions in Eretz Yisrael, which is very rare in Eretz Yisrael, they converted. But the problem is, even after their conversion, they were found to be worshipping idolatry. So there was a whole discussion about whether or not their conversion was a legitimate one or not? So that's why there's always this status issue when it comes to kusim. So the kusim tried to go ahead and mess up the system of kiddush hakodesh. Now, I'll say I'll point out this is very interesting. So this is now the second mishnah in a row that we see a group trying to disrupt kiddush hakodesh. Remember again, in last mishnah usu usu the Baitusin. Now remember, again, it's interesting to note how everybody's trying to disrupt the system, right? So the Batusim are disrupting it how? By showing up in Beis and giving false testimony. The kusim are disrupting it how? By lighting erroneous bonfires, or, or I should say unsanctioned illegal bonfires. Now, what I'll point out over here is very interesting. See, the Baitusim, people didn't always knew who Baitusim were. The Baitusim, the guy sitting next to you could be a Baitusi. Look to your right, look to your left, right? And, right? So, 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 meaning, the Baitusim were very often embedded within the Jewish community. So, Baitusim shows up to give Edus, you don't necessarily know who he is. Kusim were known. So, Kusim would have never been accepted in a Bayeson. So, therefore, again, their ability to undermine the system could never have been done in Bayeson. Therefore, that was done externally by the bonfires. So, what happened? So, the Baitusim, Shluchun So, they stopped the bonfire system. They stopped the bonfire system. And instead, they started dispatching messengers. So, just by the way, the Gimara says, Mishnah says, So, what was the process for the bonfires? So, the Mishnah says, They are being poles of cedar wood. Aruchim, long poles of cedar wood, the kanim and reeds, the ase shemen and balsam wood, una ores and combed flax, the korech and They were tied all together with a string. la you go up to the top of the mountain. Umatsis ha'ar, they would light the fire. Umolech umevi umma'ala umorid, and they would go ahead, literally molech umevi, wave it back and forth, wave it up and down. And we're going to see their designated mountains. So you would go up, we're going to see the first mountain was Harzaisim, right? Mount of Olives. That was the first mountain they went. So Gainamon would start, start waving his torch. Wait till he see on, on mountain number two, and then it would continue on sequentially from mountain to mountain. And from that, and again, from where? What, what mountains? There were designated mountains. Which mountains did they use for the bonfires? So both said the first mountain was Harzaisim. So remember again, one mountain over from Harabayis. Remember again you have Harabayis where the base amikdash is, Valley, Valley, and then Harazesim right across. And then Sartava. We'll so say you could actually go today. you have done this, it's incredible. You could take a Jeep ride. Up to Sartava. We know the mountain. We know the mountain where this was. And it's incredible, absolutely incredible. It's a pretty uh, it's a pretty steep. I mean, you, you, I guess you could hike it also, but you could take it's a lot of fun, you could take a Jeep ride up to Sartava as well. So they went from Maharishka the Sartava, Me Sartava Le Grufina, the Le Khavran, Chavran Le Base Balten. So I said these are the names of the mountains. Baltin Base Baltin was the last designated mountain in Eretz Israel, and what happens? And from Beis Baltin, Ela mm-hmm. Umevi, Saish. But how beautiful was this business, right? So base Baltin was the last mountain, and the guy in Base Baltin would keep waving, and then what would happen is what happened is. People would see that after Bezbatim, there was no organized system for where to light the bonfires. So it would just keep on lighting until people would see. One person would see, he would light a fire. A second person would see. And the image of us is so beautiful that literally it looked like the entire diaspora was a globe. Right? So on that night when they would light the bonfires, there would, be, there would be beautiful like fires burning in the night everywhere. Such a beautiful image. So the Gemara says, So, therefore, what the Mishnah just described was the process of bonfires, but again, important to recognize that that process was stopped as soon as there was kusi interference. So, says the Gemara, How do you know that masyin is a lotion of burning? Where do you know that from? So the Gimara says, So the Pasik over here. The Gemara quotes the Pesach from Shmuel of Beis, Vayazusham mm-hmm. es atzabeim, va'yisa'im David v'anashav. This is talking about Philistine idolatry. So the Pesach says, David and his, David and his men, va'yisa'im, they burned it. So you see over here, that Masiyan is a lotion of burning. Good. So the Gemara says, David, David burned it. Tan Rabbanon, Ein Masiyan, Masuov, Se'elah, Allah, Kodesh, Nira, Bizmana, Lekad, Shom. So the said, this is very important, Halacham. When did they kindle, when did they kindle bonfires? Only, only Rabbo in what we call a chaser month, right? Only in a month, ultimately, that was 29 days, where day number 30 was going to be Rosh Chodesh that's when they would go ahead, that's what it means, so Rashi says over here, and when would they kindle the bonfire? So we'll say, so this is very, very interesting. Remember again, so let's play this out. Let's say they see the new moon, they see the new moon on night 30. Right? So let's say for argument's sake, right? Sunday night was night 30, which, which tells you that, let me say it differently, they see the new moon on night 30 right? What does that tell you? What does that tell you? That Sunday day was what? The last day of the month, right? 29th day was the last day of the month. And that means if they're seeing it Sunday night, Monday is Rosh Chodesh, right? Sunday night, Monday is day number 30. So, we'll say, so therefore the Mishnah says they would only go ahead and kindle the bonfires when it was a 29 day month and day number 30 was Rosh Chodesh. And when would they burn the fire? This is very interesting. When would you, So think about this. Bonfires are only, right, this system is only meaningful when? What time of day? Nighttime. So they would end up kindling the bonfire, actually, interestingly enough, when? Night 31. Now, remember, again, They can't. you can't do it Sunday night. Remember, think about the timeline. If witnesses see the moon on night 31, Sunday night, sorry, night 30, which is Sunday night. Right. So Sunday day was, let's just use Cheshvan. Very simple. Sun, right? Sunday is the 29th of Cheshvan. Okay, Sunday is the 29th of Cheshvan. They see the moon that night, Sunday night, which already is calendrically what day number thirty. What happens on, then? What happens? We know the process. What happens? The next day they go to Bezdin, right? We're going to see then on what will be day thirty. Bezdin declares Rosh Chodesh, which means day thirty is really day one of the next of the next month, right? And then remember, when's the earliest you can the bonfires? That night, which is really which night? Night thirty one. Night 31. So the Gemara says, When would you go out and kindle the bonfire? Uh, what we would call the intercalary day, the extra day. Now, the terms here are a little bit confusing. Because remember again, essentially what it means is, when they light the bonfires on what effectively will be Monday night, which already calendrically is night 31, the bonfires essentially attest to what? That the previous day was Rosh Chodesh. Right, it's interesting because intuitively you would think that the bonfires come to alert everyone about the fact that Rosh Chodesh is tomorrow. That's actually not the case. The bonfires would alert everyone to the fact that Rosh Chodesh was that previous day. So what do you see from here? You see from here that they only kindle the bonfires for a chaser for a 29-day month. But also remember again, we know there's only two possibilities for the duration of the month and they are... 29 or 30. Those are the two possibilities. So the Gemara says, you see from here that they would only go ahead and kindle the bonfires for a chaser month, for a 29-day month. So just one more time. So again, just imagine that Sunday is the 29th day. Sunday night, the Edim see the new moon. Rosh Chodesh, Mazel Tov. They make their journey to Basin, as we spoke about before. They come, they show up to Basin presumably sometime on Monday. Monday, which is day number 30, Bezdin declares, Rosh Chodesh, Rosh Chodesh. So Rosh Chodesh is day number 30. That night, which is night 31, they, they kindle the bonfires, alerting everyone that day 30 was Rosh Chodesh. So the Gemara says as follows. So the Gemara says, my time. So you see from here, they only made, they only made, they only did the, the bonfires, for a Chassar, not for a Mole. So my timer, why is that? This is fascinating. I'm a rabbi. I'm a rabbi. mishum Rosh Chodesh Shabbos. This is fascinating because what were they concerned about? They were concerned about the following case. What happens when Rosh Chodesh falls on a Friday? On a Friday. So listen to this. So also, let's play this out. Amos Abdi. If Rosh Chodesh falls on Friday, when do you light the bonfire? Remember, I'm say, is there a hatred to be M'chal Shabbos to kindle the bonfires for Rosh Chodesh? No. The same way that there's no heter for the shluchin who go out to be Machalos Shabbos, to spread the word to diaspora, there's certainly no there is certainly no heter for the for the for the for the bonfires to be killed Shabbos. So if Rosh Chodesh falls out on Arab Shabbos, when technically would you like the bonfire? So on one hand they'll say Bafuki Shabsa, Mazi Shabbos. That's the only thing we like the bonfire. Then here's the problem. Di Amrit Na'avidnami amaleh, if you say that Allah we kindle the bonfires even for a thirty-day month for a male. Also, the midday, the people could come to make a mistake. What's the mistake? Amri avid mishum say here's the problem: when Rosh Chodesh falls out on erev Shabbos, and they're not kindling the fires, the bonfires until Mate Shabbos. People won't know what to make of those bonfires. Remember, just to follow the flow. The Gemara says, we only go ahead and kindle the bonfire for a chaser, for a 29-day month. The Gemara says, why? Why don't you just always kindle the bonfires? Always kindle the bonfires. And when people see the bonfires, what will they assume? What will they assume? That Rosh Chodesh was that day. Was that previous day? What's the big deal? To i because it's a complicated case of an Rosh Chodesh falls in Erev Shabbos. Falls on Shabbos, then you're gonna kindle the When well. the only the fire is When people see that fire, they don't know what to make of it. On one hand, they could say, "Well, maybe, maybe the month was really Chaser. It was twenty nine days, and the only reason they waited until Matzah Shabbos to kindle the fire was why? Was why? Because you can't do it on Shabbos. or maybe not." Maybe Rosh Chodesh was declared on Shabbos. Maybe it really was declared on Shabbos. And again, they, it, was, it was a Malay month. So I'll we'll say, because th- this way, you create confusion if you always kindle the bonfire. But if people know that the only time the bonfire is kindled is when it is a chaser, when it is a deficient month, it hopefully avoids the conclusion. So the Gemara says, so I don't understand. Why don't you just kindle the fire anytime, whether it's a twenty-nine day month or a thirty-day month? And if you're so worried about the Rosh Chodesh on Erev Shabbos piece, in that scenario, don't kindle the fire at all. Just, just don't, just don't light a fire in that situation yadi and since again you're not doing it on Motzei Shabbos, but you would normally do it on a Malay, people will infer that the month was a chaser. Afilu even with that amri So I am saying people still won't know because if you don't kindle a fire on Motzei Shabbos, people will not necessarily automatically assume that it's a chaser. Instead, what will they assume? Maybe there was some logistical issue. maybe there was some problem that they were unable to go ahead and light the fires. So, So why don't you go ahead? So therefore, the Gemara says, the only way to avoid confusion is to only light the bonfire when it's a chaser. That's the easiest thing. So whenever people see a bonfire, they know the previous month was 29 days and day number 30 is Rosh Chodesh. So the Gemara says, okay, but why don't you then? I could flip that. In, some, in other words, the Gemara says, I'll buy the svara, I'll buy the logic that you only go ahead and light the bonfire for one type of month. But why does it have to be a chaser? Why don't you go ahead and what? Light it for a month that's a malay. And say, we're only going to light the bonfires on months that are 30 days long, where day 31 is Rosh Chodesh. To which the Gemara says, is incredible. Amra Mushum Mishum, malachali Amshne Yomim. Because we're both saying, ultimately, again, what are we concerned about? We're specifically concerned about Rosh Hashanah. Look at Rashi. Listen to this. Because if you only do it on Amali, let's play this out for just a moment. If they only go ahead and if they only go ahead and kindle the bonfires on a 30-day month, what does that mean? That means that means that every single month, come day 30, you already have to anticipate the arrival of Rosh Chodesh, right? Because the bonfires wouldn't really come until when? Think about this. On a Malay month, they wouldn't come until when? Right? They really wouldn't come until, until really night 32, right? If you think about it. So the Gemara says what's going to end up happening is, people will de facto have to observe two days of Rosh Hashanah. Will say, now remember again, we already learned these sugyes about Rosh Hashanah, Yoma, Arichta. But remember again, in a perfect world, in a perfect world, Rosh Hashanah is one day. The problem is if you're only kindling bonfires on a Malay, people by definition will always have to just proactively keep two days of Rosh Hashanah you'll say to yourself, well, what's so bad about proactively keeping two days of Rosh Hashanah if it might not be necessary? The Gemara says, Mishum bittel Malacha. Because it causes people not to work. It causes people not to work. And we don't want to go ahead and create unnecessary bittel Malacha. So I'll say, pretty incredible. So I'll just point out something very interesting over here, just on a hashkafic level as well. You know, it almost seems from the Gemara the worst possible thing for a Jew is bittel Malacha. Right, say there's nothing worse in life than being idle. Right, there's nothing be worse in life than just waiting for something to happen. The Jew doesn't wait for things to happen. The Jew makes things happen. Even when it comes to Mashiach, we say, right, I'll wait for him. Of course, I'll wait for him. But at the end of the day, while I'm waiting. I'm also doing anything and everything in my power to expedite his arrival. So the Gemara says, we can't just kindle the bonfires for Malay months because that is going to create the Bitl malacha and the notion of Bitl malacha, the notion of being idle, the notion of not being proactive, the, mo- the, 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 the reality of not engaging in dynamic activity, that's something that Chazal did not want to institutionalize. And therefore I will say, the Gemara says, they would only kindle the bonfires four chaser months beautiful says the Gemara so now remember again the Mishnah said what did this bonfire look like so remember again they would bring these poles the Mishnah described the poles they would use amra of Yehuda Talib minam the Gemara just mentions this by the way there are four different types of cedar trees four different types of t- cedar trees Erez Kasrum Eitz Shemen Ubrosh okay four different types of cedars Right, well, so why, why are you bringing this up over here? Because the long poles of the torches were made from cedar wood. So once we started speaking about cedar wood, it's hard, it's, you lose yourself in cedar wood. You know, it's, hard to, it's hard to stop once you start. Right? So the Gemara says as follows, Kasrum, So the Gemara is going to define each of these. Amrav Adra Debe Debe Rabishila Amri Mavliga va Amrila Zu Gulmesh. Okay, so this is Machlokas. Exactly what type of wood what type of tree this is? A Mavliga tree, a Gulmesh tree. Upliga derav baravuna. Don't know baravuna. Amri be rav a arazim him. So listen to this. You have Rabbi Judah saying there are four types of cedars. This argues on Rav because Rav holds that halacha lamaysa, right, Rav says that halokha, I should say, it argues on rabba barafuna. Ultimately, again, rabba barafuna says there are 10 types of cedar. Shene, emar, quotes over here the Pasik from Yeshaya eting, bamidbar, erez, shita, vahados, ve'itz shemen, osim ba'arava, berosh, uta usher yachdov. So the Gemara says as follows. Let's analyze each of these. Erez, so in the it says Erez, Arza, that refers to a cedar tree. Shita is Turinisa, Rashi She says Turinisa, Pina, it's a pine tree. Turinisa is a pine tree, right? Hadas, so Hadas, that one we know, Asa, myrtle. Eitz Shemen, it's Eitz Shemen, Afarsama, balsam wood. Barosh, Barso, which is translated as boxwood. Tidhar Shaga, which is a fir. Ta Asher vino. And the Ta'ashar ultimately, again, is the Shorvina. Again, the Gimara doesn't define that one. Rasha doesn't define it. Hani Shivahavu, But one second, that's only seven. That's only seven. So the Gimara says, Ki Aser Amar Hosifo Alonim Amonim Amogin. Okay, we add on these additional three. So the Gimara says, Amon Alonin Butmi. Alonim are elm trees. Amonim Boloti are oak trees. Amogin Kisisa. Amogin is coral. They both say this is actually very interesting. Rashi says Kesisa Min Eitz Haole BeKarka Hayam. So both say this is this is fascinating. So coral, of course, right? Coral, Rashi says, is the tree-like growth that grows on the seabed. That grows on the seabed. So I will say this is absolutely beautiful. Ika Aronim Armonim Amogin. will say the other three types of cedars are again the Aronim Armonim Amogin. Aronim, Ari, Aronim are Ari, will say Ari are laurel trees. Armonim, Dolvi, chestnut. Amogen, Kisisa. We'll say Kisisa once again means coral. So the Gemara says, we'll say here we go. So Gemara quotes another Pasek. Pasek once again from Yeshayah. Vitsi Adir lo Now we'll say now literally what this Pasek means is a large ship or a large boat shall not pass, shall not pass. So the Gemara says, Amarav, what's the big ship? What's the big boat that the Gemara is referring to over here? Nav no, is referring to over here. Zu Burni Gedola. This refers to the large Burni ship. So the will say, what's, what's happening? Get ready for this. Heichi Avdu. The both say, when they used to try to go ahead and get coral off the seabed, how would they get coral off the seabed? Watch this. So the Gemara says, Maisi, they would take this big boat. This big boat. Get ready for this alfe they would hire six thousand men, Shasa, six thousand men for twelve months. Six thousand twelve Amrilah, Al others say twelve thousand men, for six months. Either way, it's a lot of people for a long time. <laughs> and the you might as well say, what would they do? Listen to this. Vitani So remember you have to imagine the scene. They would take this big boat, this big boat. 6,000 men for 12 months, 12,000 men for six months, and what would these men do? They would fill the boat with sand. They'd fill the boat with sand. And so ultimately, again, the boat would sink. So they would sink the boat by piling on it a ton of sand. Rashi says over here, So the boat, the walls of the boat would be submerged in the water. But interestingly enough, the top of the boat would still be visible above the water. He says something very interesting. At least again, their coral was often found in not very deep waters. So the interesting interestingly enough, it appears the problem with harvesting coral was the fact that it had very deep roots in the <laughs> seabed and therefore again needed a lot of effort in order to pull it out. So look what they did. So they would go ahead and right, fill up a boat with sand, lower the boat to the seabed. What would they then do? Or at least lower it down towards the seabed. So the Gemara says, what would they do? V'nochis bar amoroi. And then they would have a boat. Bar says, Rashi says, melumad loshut benarus. They would hire divers. They would hire divers. And what would the divers do? V'kater atuni dikisna b'kissisa. V'kater lehu b'sinosah. The nut, so said, What would they do? They would go ahead. Divers would go down. They would take a linen rope, right? And they would tie the one end of the rope to the coral and the other end of the rope to the top of the ship. And then what would they do? Then the guys would come back and they would begin to shovel off the sand. And as they would shovel off the sand, what would happen? And what would happen, of course, when you, when you remove the sand from the boat? The boat begins to rise to the top. And as the boat rises to the top, what does it do? It pulls the coral out along with it. Absolutely incredible. And the coral was so expensive. Umachlif al-Khad train the One piece of coral was worth two pieces of silver. Tlas Parvassa, Havion, there were three different ports, port areas in which they in which they uh they I don't know, mined, harvested coral, Tarti Bay Aramoi. So it was interesting enough to change it in the Hagos, it's and they change it to Romoi. Two of them were Roman ports, the Bay Parsoi, and one of them was a Persian port. The Bay Aramoi Maskin Kesisa. Right in the in the in the in the Roman port, they were able to go ahead and harvest coral. parsoi maskin Interestingly enough, in the in the in the Persian port, they weren't really harvesting coral. They were harvesting sounds like oysters, right? They were harvesting pearls. Right pearls Omekarya Parvasa Demishanik and they called it the port of the king. Rashi says Omekarya Parvasa Demishanik Osa Shal Parsium, the Persian port, where they were able to go ahead and they were able to draw up pearls. It was called Namal Shalmalucha. The port of the monarchy. We'll say, I'll just mention, and by the way, so what, what's, what's the connection over here? Just, just see, trace the progression. We started talking about cedars in the Mishnah, right? Because that's what, that's what the torches were made of. We spoke about all the different kinds of cedars and included in this whole discussion of strong trees was also something called coral. So once the Mishnah started, Kisisa, once the Gemara started talking about Kisisa, we started speaking about, the, again, how to harvest Kabbal. So i just tell you something. I was, I was, I was, was looking at this Gemara yesterday. This Gimara is such a profound metaphor for life. Because think about this in just a moment. What is the, what is the Gimara describing? The gemara is describing over here a boat that is weighed down with sand. And then something amazing happens. Once you begin to remove the sand, the boat, the boat becomes buoyant, right? And when it becomes buoyant, what happens? It brings with it so much other brach. It's able to lift the coral off the seabed. I will say, the boat is a metaphor for us. So often in life, we are weighed down by a variety of different things. There is so much sand in life. There is the sand of negative relationships, toxic relationships. There's the sand of negative mitos. There's the sand of just wrong ideas and hashkafas and flawed outlooks on life. And too often in life, we hold on to the sand. So if you hold on to the sand, you're stuck on the seabed. You can't go anywhere but if you find the courage to shovel out your sand right if you find the courage to unload the baggage if you find the courage to get rid of the things that I know are holding me back first of all you feel a million pounds lighter second of all you float to the top and as you begin to float to the top you bring all of that positivity and blessing with you life is about offloading the sand from your boat because once you find the courage to do so, there's no telling what bracha you will find and what you will accomplish in life. Such an incredible idea. I'm Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan says, "Kol shita v'shita shenatlu nachem We'll say this is such a beautiful gemara and it's a sechus. We'll say, you know, today, Baruch Hashem, November first. Eretz Israel is open. Uh, from what I've been told, the airlines don't know that yet. But at least, yeah, but yeah. but at least that, that is what the government has said. they say the crazy People are stranded in airports because apparently there's a lack of communication between the government. But, but Baruch Hashem, it's open. It's open. It's open. It's open. And halavai, we should never experience what we experienced over the last year and a half, where where Eretz Israel was not open to us any time and every time we wanted to go. And it's certainly something. We have to do a real cheshvun ha-nefesh. have to do a real ha-nefesh. Because for the first time, I think in our lifetimes, we really felt what it's like to be in Golos and not have access to your homeland. So, halavai, we should be emirat Mirat Hashem, that the doors of our beloved homeland should constantly be wide open. And emirat Hashem, we should be b'zocha, to take advantage of the opportunity. So the Gemara says as follows, Amr Rabbi Yochanan, Every, every... Tree, every tree that the that the Gentiles went ahead and removed from Yerushalayim, because it was remember again when the Beis Hamidosh was destroyed, right? So there were trees, so every pine tree, every tree that was removed from Yerushalayim. <laughs> isn't this beautiful, the Riboano shall will replant every single last tree that was removed by the Goyim who persecuted us and destroyed our land. Shnei <speaking> Mar Etin Midbar Erez <Hebrew> Shita Midbar interesting enough so the Posthak, so like we spoke about before. This is the Posthak in Yishayim. Right? I'll go ahead and place it in the Midbar Erez Shita So the Midbar refers to Yerushalayim Shnei <speaking> Mar Tzion Midbar <Hebrew> Hayso amra Yochanan so we'll say another drush on this passage. So beautiful. Anyone who learns Torah, but doesn't teach it to others. Which means, if you learn, but you keep your learning to yourself. We'll say, doesn't mean you, have to, you have a shear, you give. What it means is, if a person learns, but they don't share their learning with anyone. Such a person is comparable to a myrtle, to a myrtle, to a myrtle, to, to a myrtle in the desert. Now we'll say, what's the what, what, what's, what benefit does the fragrance of a myrtle have when it's in the desert? And the answer is none because there's no one there to smell it. A person who learns Torah becomes fragrant has all of this beautiful fragrance, but if you don't share it with anyone, right? And we'll say sharing it with anyone, by the way, like I said, doesn't mean you have to assemble throngs of Talmidim or start giving a shear. It means you go home, you share it with a spouse, you share it with a friend, you share it with a friend, you share, with a, you share it with someone, share it with someone. You use your Torah to positively impact someone else, and if you don't, you're just like the beautiful myrtle in the Desert. It's fantastic, but no one gets benefit from it. Both said, listen to this, igadamri an alternate version, Kala Lome Torah Shein Tchacham, Chacham. Listen to this. A person who learns Torah, Um and teaches it to others, Shein tamut in a place where there are no Torah scholars, Dome Lahadas Bamid Dechaviv, is comparable to a myrtle in the desert. This is a reverse Rasha. You see, on the other hand, a myrtle in the desert also stands out for its beauty. Right? It's so recognizable because the landscape is so barren. So when you have that one little myrtle, it's so beautiful. So the Gemara compares that to a place, to a person who learns Torah and teaches Torah in a place where there are no other de chachamin. So if you teach Torah, you give over Torah in a place where there aren't, where there is no tamid chacham, you are like the myrtle in the desert. Your beauty stands out against the barren landscape. It's so beautiful. Vam Rabbi Yochanan. So we'll say, bottom line is, share your Torah. Share your Torah. So incredibly important. People sometimes think to themselves, who am I to teach Torah? Every person can teach Torah. Every person, some people do it in a classroom, some people do it in a base marriage, and some people just do it one-to-one. Some people do it at a Shabbos table, some people do it at a weeknight dinner table. It doesn't make a difference where, right? Some people do it by the water cooler, depending on where you work, right? but, But bottom line is, there's always Torah to be shared. And when you do that, you are like the fragrant hadas sharing your fragrance. But if you just hold it for yourself, it's nice for you, but there's something lacking in your Torah. So the Gemara goes right to Aram Woe to the Ovdekochim, to the idolaters, for they have no redemption. Shene Amar Tachas Hanachoshes Avizahav. Going more we're quoting the pasuk from avizav, instead of the copper I will bring gold. And instead of the iron I will bring silver. And instead of wood I will bring copper. And instead of stones I will bring iron. Tzibos say this pasuk over here is referring to the fact that in the Messianic era, Hakadosh Baruch will repay us for all of the wealth that was taken from us by the Ovde kochavim over the generations. And the Kaddish says, not only will I give it back to you, I'll give you more than you ever lost. So financially, we will be made whole in the Messianic era. So the Gemara said, but listen to this, we'll say this is so profound. Batachas Rabbi Akiva Maimvim. I will say, what can you, what can you ever give to replace Rabbi Akiva and his friends? Right? What can you ever give to replace six million Kedoshim? What can you ever give to Klal Yisrael to replace all that has been taken from us over the generations? And Baruch Hu says something amazing: Klal Yisrael, I'll make you whole. I'll make you whole from all of the material things that were taken from you. And not only will I make you whole, but I'll give you back. I'll give you back even more. But Rabbi Akiva for his friends. For everyone else who Klai has been deprived of from the years, how could I ever make that whole? Which I will say is very interesting. Because when Mashiach comes, one of the elements of Messianic redemption is what? Is It's Tzchiyas HaMesim. So everyone does come back. But Baruch, I think what the Gemara is saying is the pain, the existential pain of Klal of having endured loss over the generations, the pain doesn't go away. If Rabbi akiva comes back the six million Kedoshim come back. But the pain that was suffered by people throughout the generations, the pain, doesn't go, the pain doesn't go away. And it's the pain that the nations of the world are held accountable for when Mashiach comes. Isn't that incredible? The financial piece, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, could give compensation. But the pain caused by the nations of the world, the pain caused by the Gentile nations, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Vini Kesi, Loni Kesi. Ultimately, again, I cannot go ahead and cleanse them, the nations of the world, of the blood they have spilled. Incredible. And from where did they light these fires? My base, Baltin. What's base, Baltin? Amarav Zubiram. It's the first Tabiram, my Gola. What's the Gola? So, also, so remember, again, it said the entire Gola would be illuminated at night. What Gola, what, what, what we referring to? Am Rav to? That refers to the city of Pompadissa in Bavel. My Kimadura sa'ish. What does it mean ultimately? I get, the diaspora was like one big torch. He also says, a so beautiful tunnel. Kol Echad is incredible, that it says everyone, every single Jew, right, every person went up to the top of his, to, the, to his rooftop and he took an avuka, right? He took a torch, right? And the, and the he, he would wave the torch. So again, remember, in Eretz Yisrael, they weren't doing this because in Eretz Yisrael, this could be very disruptive. In Eretz Yisrael, they had the mountain system. But once they got to the edge of Eretz Yisrael, the diaspora would set a glow because in the diaspora, every single Jew would just get up on his, would just get up on his rooftop and start waving his torch. Tanya, Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar Omer, i the Kayar the Kayar the Goder the so Reb Shimon adds an additional place, where they would, it sounds like an Eretz Yisrael, where they would also go ahead and, Rashi says, Afkharim v'chayir v'gader, we'll say gader is what we just had in yesterday's daf, Shazefar, right? Shazefar was the head of the city of Gader. So Rashi says over here, and also these places, Hayumasin barashi they would also light torches on the top of these mountains. Ike amri beni u-beni some say that these places that were just listed are in between the locations mentioned in the Mishnah. Others say this was on the other side of Eretz Yisrael. The Mishnah, perhaps, Mishnah listed a series of mountains in one direction, and ultimately, you know is, is mentioning a, a, a mountain, uh, a series of mountains in a different direction, which makes sense. Meaning they kindled, they kindled the fires, the torches, in two different directions. Am so I'll say first of all, I'll just point out what a, what a beautiful imagery right. So you have a bunch of mountains, a bunch of mountains in Eretz Yisrael, and then ultimately the entire diaspora is aglow. Everything looks to glow. Both say you have to understand something. When is there light in the world? When is there light in the world? When the Jews of Eretz Yisrael and the Jews of the Galus work together, right? Ultimately, there's only light in the world when all of Am Yisrael is working in the same direction. It's not enough for the Jews of Eretz to produce light. That's not enough light for the world. It's not enough light for the Jews of Gallus, of Babel, to produce light. Not enough light for the world. But when the Jews of Eretz start kindling on a couple of mountaintops and they ignite the flame, it's Kimitzion the flame, the flame always comes from Eretz The flame always comes from there. But all it takes is a flame from Eretz and the entire diaspora could be ignited as well. But the light is only truly luminescent when all of Klal Yisrael comes, God. Like Everything else that's good in this world requires the Achdus of HaMisrael, B'nei Eretz Yisrael, B'nei HaGola, to be working together. Ben Kol So what's we'll say, very interesting, between each mountain, between each mountain, these mountains were strategically spaced there are eight parcels. So just to understand the parcels, let's go with right now three miles. It's a little bit of is how big a parasa is, but let's go with three miles, which means I will say there's about, we'll call it 20 miles, 24 miles, in between each mountain, each mountain. So the Gemara says, Kama, So the Gemara says, Kama v'tartin, Which means again, so there were 32 parcels, right from be, right from beginning to end. For 32 parcels from beginning to end. I vaha ibn so, I'll say this is incredible. So, remember again, if you go through the mountains, right, if you go from mountain A to the last mountain mentioned in the Mishnah, that's 32 parcels, right, which is almost 100 miles, right, almost 100 miles. So, the Gemara said, but one second, if you try to travel these distances today, it's much longer than 32 parcels. Right? In other words, if I try to go from mountain eight to mountain, how you know to sartava, sartava this so it's much longer than that. It's much longer than, it's much longer than eight pars. So we'll say listen to this. astume Ultimately the roads have become much more convoluted. In other words, what, what's the lush? If you fly as the what's the, the as the crow flies, if you go straight, it's eight pars. But now, they used to apparently have roads that were straight. But now the roads have become much more circuitous and crooked. hinini. So we'll say, so this is actually quite beautiful. The Gemara quotes from the Pasik in Hosea. hinini, sach The Pasik says, I have gone ahead and literally, sach es Darkeh basirim, which means I've, I've made your road more convoluted with obstacles. So I this is talking my roads, my roads have become twisted. Now said this is referring to the in the aftermath of the, of the destruction of the Mikdash. The Navi is lamenting the fact that the roads, the pathways, have become more circuitous. And about says, so therefore again, they used to have straight paths. Straight paths would make it eight parsaus in between each mountain. But now, since the Beis HaMikdash has been destroyed, the roads are much more circuitous, and therefore it takes longer to get to between each mountain, which I will say, also such an incredible yisod. What, what's the power, what's the impact of the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash? When the Beis HaMikdash was in this world, and I'm to experience again, there's a giluya Yahashchina, right? There is a div- level of divine revelation that is present in this world. And when there is a Hashraz Hashchina, divine revelation, or again, a manifestation of divine in the world, there is greater clarity in this world. You know, I don't know what the power of a Beis HaMikdash is. When the Ritvon Moshe has a home in this world, there by definition is greater clarity in this world. By extension, when the Beis HaMikdash is destroyed, that clarity is not here. You want to know why we live in a world of such gray? We live in a world where so often we lack clarity in our own personal lives, with our mishpachos, in our communities, like what should we do? What should we do? There's often this lack of clarity. Lack of clarity is, the, is, is a result of the lack of the Beis I Mikdash. Mean, That's what the navi is saying. When the Beis HaMikdash is in this world, you know what the roads look like? Yashar, Yashar, Yashar. It's straight. In the absence of the Beis HaMikdash, everything becomes so circuitous. Everything is so twisty and turny. Nothing seems to be straight. And that's what we dive in for every single day. Why do we want the Beis Tosh? Why do we want Gula? Why do we want Mashiach? Because you know what? I'm so tired of traveling the convoluted roads of life. I just need clarity. I just need clarity. I just need, I just need to know. Where I should go, what I should do, and the derech I should take in life, and that day will come, that clarity will come. Amirah Hashem with Mashiach Tzidkiyim here, Rabbi We'll say, let's go to Mishnah. So I'll we'll say, so this is actually beautiful. So remember again, we're, we're jumping back now for just a moment. We spoke about in yesterday's daf that the Eidim are permitted to mechalal Shabbos in order to come and give testimony. So where would they show up? There was a large gathering point a gathering point, a large courtyard in Yerushalayim, Ubeis Yazik, Haysenic Grace, it was called Beis Yazik, that was the name of it, so the Shem is Miskansim, all of the witnesses would gather into this courtyard, Ubeis Din Bodkin O and that's where Beis Din also would interrogate, or cross-examine the witnesses, Usuudos Kidolos O and they used to make Mamish Beautiful sudos. We'll it must have been very beautiful. Right? Big sudos, big carving stations, right? everything, right? everything in this Chatz HaGidola in Laim. Why? Why do they want to do it? I will say, by the way, isn't it fascinating how some things don't change? right, meat and wine, and you'll get men to do anything, right? So I'll say, so mate, just go ahead. I mean, they don't say the wine, but it's a su'dos, so again, although the wine is probably a little bit of a tricky part, especially if you need people to give edos, right? Although the edos, I'm sure, is much more flowery after a couple of the So i say, so they, they, had, they, had, they had these su'dos, these large su'dos over here in these courtyards. So the Gemara says, Now, listen, here's what's interesting. So remember again, the witnesses, once they arrived in this large courtyard, they were not permitted to leave the courtyard. remember again, many of these witnesses had traveled from where? From where? Outside of the Tchum. Let's hearken back to our Erebin days. I know many of you yearn and pine for Erebin every day. So remember again, what happens if you leave your Tchum on Shabbos? What happens? Dalaramus. That's all you have. So here's what's interesting. A lot of these guys who came who showed up, had left their tchum. So because of that, they were confined to this courtyard. So there was a lot of good food, beautiful sudos, but they, there, was, there was a lack of mobility. They could not move past the courtyard. Hiskin, <speaking speaking> Rebbe Gamliel Azakin, Paim Payim, Amadoch Oluach. Rabbi Azakin instituted that no, essentially, they should have the trum like the residents of Yerushalayim. They came to Yerushalayim with the reshus of the Bezdin, and therefore they should not be confined to the courtyard. Instead, they have the entire, they, they have the tchum of the people of Jerusalem, 2,000 amits in every direction. So the gemara says, By the way, not just these guys, not just these guys, but this applies to anyone who leaves their tchum with rishos. If you leave your tchum with rishos, you're allowed to leave your tchum on Shabbos because of some extenuating circumstance, we give you essentially a new tchum. A new tchum, for example, the gemara says, af, ela af, chach A midwife. Let's say a midwife goes to aid a woman in giving birth, and as a result, she leaves her tchum. She comes to a woman to help her give birth. Both say that's the fasches. You're allowed to do that. We give the midwife now a new tchum. They both say a new tchum where she is, where she is. Or you're coming to save someone from a fire, from a fire. Or from robbers. Or from, robbers. Or from a river. Or from a building collapse. So we'll say it's a fascinating halacha. Essentially, when you leave your tchum, but it's a, but but you are halachic, It's halachically permissible. Not only halachically permissible, but what halachically encouraged. So again, Chazal didn't want to penalize you, right? So therefore, what they said is you have a new tchum, like the city in which you find yourself. we will say the idea is. You have to incentivize people to do the right thing. Because this, and this is incredibly important. You So if doing the right thing becomes too difficult, what ends up happening? People just don't do it. So therefore, again, if you're going to tell a person, you could leave your trom, but once you leave, you're stuck in your Daladamis. People are just not going to come. because Bagemiel felt that Allah If somebody's leaving their tchum for the right purposes, give them the tchum of the city in which they find themselves. So, we'll have to stop over here for today. We'll pick up with this incredible, incredible gemara tomorrow as well. The next, the next two, the next couple of years are incredible, right? Each, each, each mamish, it just gets better each and every day. Shkoyah. And I see, I see over here on Jerry, Mazlatov, Tov, on your new Einikol. Mazel tov, Jai will ask able a and give